Tailgate with Kate. I am Kate with said Tailgate with Kate, and I am here with Alex Green. Alex, how are you doing? I am doing amazing. Another beautiful day in Houston, so I'm just enjoying it. I'm glad not to be up north in the cold. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> 16 degrees at my house right now. Oh, yeah, I do not miss that at all. <laughs> I heard it was kind of chilly down there, but it's warming up. It's nice and toasty in Texas now. Yeah, when I first got down here, it was a big rainstorm. Then the next day it was like 20s. I'm like, what is this? Of course, you've been in Houston, you know, where it's hot and humid all the time. Uh, right. Starting to heat up a little bit. No, they say supposed to get a cold chill in the teens. So I might get some some Midwest flavor soon. Yeah, some Wisconsin flashbacks for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went from Hawaii, you know, 97 degrees on Christmas Eve. Then I go to Green Bay where you can't feel your face. Then I go to New York Jets, you know, and wind chill there. And then I go to Canada. So I'm excited to be where I'm at, where it's warm and there's palm trees. Yeah, where are you from? You're from the West Coast. I'm from Coast. Portland. Yeah, okay. from Portland. Yep, West Coast, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Which Portland's, I mean, I've heard great things about Portland. I don't really know uh, much about it, but Houston's nice. I like Texas a lot. Um, so that's great. Uh, I have you on here today um, because you want to share your story and I want to help you share your story. I'm going to kind of leave the floor uh, to you. And, and we'll see where the conversation takes us because I think what you have to say is uh, really, really important. Um, I would like to start from the beginning, like when you were in Hawaii. Um, I did read a little bit about your story, but I that's where I'd kind of like to start if that's okay with you. Oh, that's perfect. So let me go a little bit before Hawaii. I grew up with a guy named Demetrius Davis, and he, uh, he ended up going to Hawaii first from my junior college. And he actually pulled some strings with the coaches to get me into the school. So that's how I got to Hawaii. I had no offers. I had one offer was from um, Liberty University. They wanted me to cut my hair as a Christian school. I'm not cutting my hair. I'm going to go to Hawaii in a past happy offense and go play running back there. You know? So um, one of my good friends got me there. Very blessed to have him in my life. But so I met Hawaii. Um, you know, I barely get in. And junior year, I get diagnosed with dyslexia, struggling with grades and whatnot. And so I had a good counselor who uh, diagnosed me. And um, I think that's when things started to click as far as school and football, where I wasn't struggling, you know, where I kind of made it, you know. And um, I did my first year there, you know, decent season. You know, my grades were okay, stay eligible. My senior year, you know, I had my best friend passed away February 28th. And so that spring ball, that was it for me. I just took off. You know, I, I had my mindset. Um, at the time, I had one daughter. So my mindset, you know, just on, just, just staying focused and grounded. And, and let me take this football dream as far as I can. So as the, the year, the, the months go on, you hit the summer. You no, know, we got camp. Um, play our first game against USC, and that's when I knew that I had a shot. Um, I had a great game, scored a touchdown against one of the top teams in the country. You know, as the season go on, you know, I started getting better and better and more comfortable. I actually had one bad game against La Tech where I fumbled twice. Um, then it was week four or five, you know, after that, you know, I didn't look back. Um, the next two games, I had big games. Um, started hearing some buzz in the papers and the media about going to the NFL. I kind of ignored it. It was too early. At that point, it was just going first, second round, you know, um, not first round, I'm sorry, uh, uh, undrafted free agent, you know, the, the second day. You know, the season goes on, get a little deeper. My son is born October 3rd. And at this point, I got two kids. Now I'm just 
know, it's more motivation, more fuel added to the fire, right? So season going on, I broke a record against New Mexico State, 327 yards, 19 carries. I don't want to brag, you know. But brag away. Three brag. touchdowns, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so um, things started looking good. You know, it was great, actually. You know, uh, went to a bowl game. Um, you know, did great there. And then after that, you know, it's like, okay, you know, school year is over. The season's over. I'm a senior. And is either finish school or turn pro? You know, talking to some coaches, you know, I had opportunity to go pro. And so I took it. You know, I had two kids, 22-year-old kid. You know, it's no-brainer. So go to the combine. That's where I meet the Cam Newtons, the Mark Ingrams, you know, the Von Millers, you know, just some legends, you know, the Kevin Shores. So some some dudes who I'm looking at, like, man, these are some real big-time dudes. You know, this is real. I'm really here with them. I come from Portland, Oregon, you know, where it's not really a really big market. Then go to Hawaii, where you're on an island, and it's just you. So you're not really connected to that NCAA world, you know. Mm-hmm. So once I'm there, I'm like starstruck. Like, this is it. You know, so life is good. You know, I do interviews with NFL teams. You know, I'm meeting people. I'm, I'm, I'm getting exposed to the real life. And, you know, we're going out and doing events inside of autographs, and you feel like you made it. And so speeding the story up a little bit, I get drafted third round, 96 pick to the Green Bay Packers. Right? World change. I mean, literally – you see it on TV. I'm at home with my boys. Now, mind you, I was supposed to go undrafted free agent, you know, and they called me third round. So I'm watching the screen, the TV screen, not thinking I'm going to get picked. Second to last pick of the day. And so, uh, you know, running Super Bowl champions called me up with my boys chilling. And, and you know, I get the call. And as soon as I hung up with uh, Ted Thompson, the gym at that time, I hung up on my phone, just like life changed, just like that life changed. You're no longer a regular person. Oh, you know, it's different. Right. So, you know what I mean? So um, life changed instantly. I turned my phone off. I called my mom. So she's, ah, we seen it. Oh, my God. You know, <laughs> come over tomorrow. We're going to have dinner. Okay, I'll see you all tomorrow. And I'm going to just turn my phone off and just relax. Um, I'm, I couldn't even sleep. You know, damn, I really got drafted, like. I didn't want to go to bed because I didn't want to wake up. Like, damn, that was a dream, you know? <laughs> like, so, you know, your real change, and, 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 and that's when you become that, like, superstar. That's when you get put in the pedestal. Now people want to invite you places. You want to have cookouts, and they want to do this for you and that for you. And so everything is good. You know, at this time, I'm still smoking weed. Nothing too crazy. I can stop when I have to to pass a drug test for a combine or, you know, when I come into Green Bay. Um, drinking a little bit here and there, nothing crazy. And I'm still kind of managing everything that I'm doing as far as they're going to focus on just the sport. And so as the world started changing around me, I started changing inside myself. I started filling that role. I started getting the nice cars, started buying the jewelry, you know, started spending a little extra money, going on trips, you know, started giving money to friends and family that I really didn't have, you know, but knowing that I had checks coming in and that I was on this big pedestal, you know, I feel like I had to fill that void and play that role. I feel like I owed it to people. You know, that's one big thing that I think a lot of guys that get drafted, they feel like they owe somebody something. Now, yeah, take care of your mom, your family, your immediate family, everybody else, man, you know, you can help out, but you don't owe nobody really anything. You don't want to go through those concussions and injuries. And so um, years go on, so I'm in Green Bay. Um, everything is great. Uh, we come in after the lockout year, so we missed the whole summer. So I'm at home this whole summer um, trying to grind it out. Season starts, you know, it's going good. I had a great preseason. You know, I'm feeling good. You know, my buzz is coming up. You know, I make the team, and then we just roll. You know, uh, and then boom, that first we struck again. And then come week seven in Minnesota, you know, kickoff return, me and Kyle back deep. 
you know, come up for a block and boom, I get hit, you know, and, and just like that, ACL, season done, right? So this rookie year, my first taste of NFL adversity hit that week seven in Minnesota. So that's when I think the drinking and smoking picked up because now I have free time. I'm only going to, you know, after my surgery, which was about a month later, from December, January, and the whole off season, I had nothing but free time. And so, you know, um, for the better part of my day, I'm going to treatment at 10 in the morning. So I don't got to wake up too early. And I'm out of there by the latest one o'clock, you know, and that's what happened conversation with the trainers just kicking shit. And so I would go home every day, me and another guy was on IR, which reserve, and we would just drink. You know, where to the point where I would just text him after our treatment and just say, yep. And literally just say, yep. And he knew, okay, yep, I'm going to get a bottle. I'm going to bring some weed. I'm going to come over, I'm going to watch some TV, play some video games. I'm going to just kick it. He had nothing to do. You know, the time and money on right? And so that's when it picked up a lot. You know, um, I always kind of been a drinker when I went out from high school, but I wasn't a big drinker like that. One, I couldn't afford it, you know. But um, that I could. We had bottles on top of bottles and just drinking, drinking, drinking. And that's when it became a problem. Um, not a problem enough where I couldn't stop, but a problem to where I had to check myself, like, you know, I got my body starting to change in a bad way. So I shut it down for about a better month, better part of a two months, um, continue my rehab, you know, I'm getting back into the field. I'm starting to cut again, starting to get healthier. And so I played my second season at Berlin Central Benson, you know, playing the season. I'm taking care of my body. I'm not really drinking that much, but I'm smoking a lot. Every day I'm smoking, smoking every day. Every practice, every game, I'm smoking. Then I go... Cedric gets hurt, and I come in the game against the Colts and have a good game. So now my buzz is coming up again. I'm like, how in the fantasy and all that. And so everything's around me started to change again. So then inside, I started changing also. And I never was able to deal with change the way that I, the way, like in a healthy way. And so with, with change came me just self-medicating. I was smoking even more. Now I'm taking a little more sips, you know, even on nights before games. And so, um, Dealing with the pressure, you know, of trying to obtain this high draft pick and, and, and fill a void, the running backs, and, uh, Green Bay Packers, you know, running Super Bowl champs two years. Um, I just felt the pressure come on me, so I just continued to use, you know, more and more. Um, as the season went on, you know, um, injuries kept happening. My knee wasn't fully healthy, you know, so I didn't finish the season out. Next year came, I drafted Eddie Lacy and Jonathan Franklin, second and fourth rounds, you know, so I was on my way at the door. It kept starts, let me go. New York Jets called me. But in New York, um, with Rex Ryan, you know, and it's a whole different ballgame. I mean, Green Bay, you come in and, and you put your Green Bay Packers sweatsuit on, put your phone away, you get your notebook out, get your playbook, you know, you get your pen ready, and you're going to meet 10 minutes before a meeting starts. Like, it's structured. Everything is pinpointing your structure, right? You go to New York, you sitting back like this on your phone, you know, you're chilling, you know, in meetings, Regular street clothes on, you know, Rex Ryan going off, F the media, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's a whole different ball, a whole different world. It be losing. So everything is just intense. You know, the coaching jobs on the line, the player jobs on the line. Everybody's stressed out, you know. And so I go there. Um, I sat behind Chris Ivory and Blapel my second season. Um, so I had like a, super, a special teams role, not really involved as much. This guy's balling, so I'm drinking, you know, smoking. It's the same routine. It wasn't really that bad yet, but, you know, I'm just, I'm just doing what I do on weekends, napping games and whatnot. And so that season flies by. I mean, I literally can't remember. I remember waking up on game days. We stay in hotels even on, on home games. I remember waking up, smoking a blunt, taking some Adderall, eating my breakfast, and driving to the stadium while I was smoking a blunt. Driving to MetLife, smoking a blunt. 
you know, I think about it now, it's like, come on, man. Like, you got an opportunity of a lifetime, my childhood dream, and here I am smoking weed. You know what I mean? Thinking that it's helping me keep my mind calm and my anxiety low to play this game. That was hurting me. The whole time was hurting me. You know, and so the season flew by where I literally, like, it's literally a blur of the season. Season goes by. Uh, the next year comes. They bring in Chris Johnson, Mike Vick, Ed Reed, you know, the Vets last year. He got to make something happy, bringing all these superstars. Um, and they released me after camp. Now, now during camp, you know, I'm, I'm I'm not even here during camp. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm literally in camp thinking about my life on the outside. You know, thinking about what I'm going to do on the outside and stressed out about things that wasn't important at that moment of being in training camp. Training camp is only training camp. So it's on training camp and outside real. You read about that later. You got to make the team first. Then you have the free time to do it. Um, so this is go by the release. So now I'm at home, right? So now I'm completely done with football. I wasn't in it for the better part of that, that, that camp anyway. They released me. Um, now I'm completely done. I had a couple of trials with the uh, Detroit Lions, Carolina Panthers, St. Louis Rams, New York Giants. You know, I flew back home from New York just to get a phone call when I landed to say the Giants want to try you out. I'm like, I just left New York. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, this can't be like. You're like, I was you know, down the street. Was, yeah, like, and it was hell <laughs> to leave out of New York. I was there for a week unpacking and, and stressing out and paying this and paying that. And I finally got home. I went to L.A. I finally got to L.A. And I landed up while I'm on the plane, you know, Giants want to try me out. So I'm like, I haven't been working out all week. No, I've been drinking and smoking and, <laughs> you know, everything else. So I do that. I do the tryout. And it just wasn't, uh, it just wasn't, uh, it just wasn't my passion no more. You know, I stopped wanting to do it. And so uh, about a month go by, I'm in LA training. And I'm waking up every day, going to the liquor store, getting a fifth. Smoking weed, hanging out. You know, football was long going at this point for my for my dreams. You know, I'm trying to figure out like after football. So eventually, I go back home to Portland. I'm not home for two years. You know, this is when I started doing cocaine. Okay, so go back home, started using cocaine, started drinking alcohol more and more. I mean, on a daily basis. I'm talking about wake up. You know, there's a beer right next. I'm drinking. If it's not full, empty from last night, I'm drinking. You know, if it's a fifth of liquor at six in the morning, I'm drinking. Doing cocaine, you know, early in the morning just to get up and go take friends to work. Um, smoking, you know, while I'm driving, doing all these things, not seeing the kids, not burning the family as much, kind of depressed, deep, deep, dark rabbit hole. And so um, about two years of that go by. And I wake up one day, hungover, and I call my agent. And I said, man, call everybody in the CFL. I want to play again. I don't care. I want to play. Call everybody in the CFL. Just see what happens. Let me just see. Right? I have to itch in the play. And uh, he called everybody to see the field. Nobody reached back until one team reached back. Uh, Hamilton uh, Tiger Cats in Canada. They reached back. You know, I was sending my film. Bring me in for a workout. I did do the workout. And I'm, at this point, I'm like 240. I'm out of shape. It's kind of poking out. You know, I'm just not looking good as a football player. Came back from camp. Got released during camp. I go back home. Right? So this is about July. So from July to October, I'm at home drinking, smoking, doing, doing coke. They called me back up there to go play again in, uh, in October when June Jones, a former Hawaii coach, went to a coach in, in Hamilton. He called me up to go play. So I go out there and play, have a great game. They tried to start running back. I was a guy. So here I am again, re-emerging myself as an NFL football player and a star running back for a new team, new country. It's like a fresh start. Um, What I thought was a fresh start. But now while I'm up there, running through some guys, you know, and they always stay in recovery. You know, you take you wherever you go. And I took myself, that same user, I took myself to Canada. 
no matter how far I was away, I was still there. Same mentality, right? No matter everything, I was making money again, playing football again. My love, I had fun doing it. It was less stressful, you know. Everything was great, but I had myself there with me, and so started using again. At this point, this way got bad. It wasn't manageable. Doing coke um, in the bathroom before games, passing the bag to teammates. Doing coke at halftime, you know. I would um, I didn't live too far from the stadium. Walk home, same issue. Doing coke, you know. Wake up, do coke to go to workouts, and it was bad. It was bad. Now, mind you, I was doing great on the field. I had one of my best seasons <laughs> that I had in my life. But inside, I was miserable. You know, I, I, and, I and it wasn't, and I couldn't manage. I remember one time I got hurt, and they shot me up with a corazon shot in my shoulder, and I took a shot in the locker room of some liquor. I'm, you know, thinking about it now, it's like, I, I can't even believe it. I can't see myself getting to that point. You know, sometimes I can't remember it. But it was such a, a dark place for me. Even on the outside, everything was fine. Everything, you know, nobody would ever guess. You know, I tell the story now. Sometimes I don't even believe it. But it's my truth. And so I get done with Canada. I have a great um, second season. Um, I left my own terms. I was finally done with it. I walked away. I ready to go back home and be a father. You know, my family got life in a death. And um, I go home, and I still took me with me. So even though I'm at home now, back home around the family, I still have me there. And so here I am back at home in Portland, and I am in this rabbit hole that I can't get out of. I can't even see the light in the tunnel. Going coke every day, drinking every day, smoking every day, hanging out, you know, up three days straight at one point in time, not working out, you know, missing opportunities. You know, people call me up, great opportunities. I'm not answering the phone call because I got too much anxiety. I have anxiety because I'm using, not wanting to have coaching opportunities, not wanting to be around, around the kids coaching because I'm using. You know, so um, then I tried to stop for a better part of a month and a half while I was coaching high school. And it went good. You know, I would go like a week without using it. I would like celebrate that. But that's that, that's how bad it was. I would celebrate a week, like literally celebrate. I would celebrate by using it. And so, you know, that was a that was that was about six months of pure hell. And I got to the point where I was in my car. Um wasn't working and I was in my car and I had a bag of coke and I had a bottle of liquor and I was going to use it until I can. I made my decision. I was going to use all this coke, drink all this liquor until I can. If I fall asleep or if I die. I, I, at that point, I didn't care anymore. And I started thinking like, man, I go from third round, 96 pick, right at my feet. Hottest guy on the market in fantasy football at one point in time. Sharing the backfield with Aaron Rodgers, future Hall of Famer, Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings, James Jones, Jermichael Finley, all these greats. And I'm in the backfield with them. And here I am in the car with a bag of coke and a fifth of liquor. And I don't care what the end result is. And so it would always say ask for help. And as a man is, and I mean for anybody, but I think as a man, it's hard to ask for, for like legit help, mm-hmm. especially when we know we need it. Because we feel like we got it figured out. No, I'm a man. I'm supposed to, you know, we grew up, you know, boys don't cry. And, you take care of the family and you hold your own and they you know you're the leader that follow you. So you can't show that you're weak. And that's where I was at. My family didn't know. My closest friends didn't know. Um, and obviously the outside community and, and the fans of society didn't know because I hit it. And um, so I text my program manager, the NFL PA, and I told her I need help. Now, the interesting part about the story is that for the past, I'm at the league for, well, at least about seven years. For the past seven years, I thought this phone was an office phone. This is about two in the morning in my time. So at least four or five, six in the morning in their time on East Coast. I texted and said, I need help. 
And I texted as an excuse to say, oh, well, I asked for help. Nobody replied back. I'm going to do this coke and drink this liquor. I said I needed help, though. She she called me back. And I'm like, the hell is going on with this phone? I answered the phone. And she's like, hey, I got your text message. What's going on? I'm like, I thought for the past seven years this was an office phone. No, it's my cell. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So she said, what's going on? I told her what was going on with me and how I've been struggling and I can't control it. And started crying. And, you know, she got a kid in the background crying. And she stayed on the phone with me for about an hour and a half. And just heard me just, just sob and, and, and weep and, and ask for help. And so she told me, we're going to send you to Jacksonville, Florida. I'm like, oh, I'll get my hair done. I got to, like, what you mean? I got I to gotta figure it out. Like, look for clothes, lady. For what? I'm going to treatment. I'm not going to my club. You know, but again, I'm making excuses. You know, because now I asked for help. Now I got help. And now I'm scared. Because now I got to actually walk that walk. And so um, I finally put my part aside. I go to the airport, PDX, Portland International, and I fly to Jacksonville, Florida. I go to Florida and I turn my phone in, which was big for me. <laughs> I turn my phone in and um, and I surrendered. I said, this is it. You know, I can't do it anymore. So, okay, it's going to be for 45 days. I did 10 days of detox where I couldn't leave. I spent 10 days in one room, no TV, just a bed. I had some books that I brought with me. Uh, I had a duffel bag with three shorts in it, four socks, two T-shirts, one tank top, and six pairs of underwear and some slides, right? <laughs> so I go out there and uh, that's all I had with, with two books. So I spent 10 days reading these books, you know, front and back. Um, it'll bring the food to my door, knock on my door, like I'm in county or prison or something, like, like I'm in a hole. <laughs> and knock on my door. I will open the door, get the food, go back in the room, you know? And so I did 10 days, you know, I had to shake, you know, I, would, I cried a lot, I prayed a lot, and I had to think, I had to deal with me. I had to deal with myself, and I did, you know, and I was sober. I couldn't use, obviously, so I had to deal with all those feelings and emotions that came up. So my sobriety date is 11-11. For those first 10 days, I had to deal with myself. And so that's what I did. I dealt with myself. Um, after 10 days, I got out, um, did a lot of therapy. I was there to meet the other, other patients. I met some great friends, man, from, from former NFL players, the doctors, the lawyers, the pilots, to, you know, uh, sailors. You know, all types of walks of life to your average Joe. You know, um, we all had that one thing in common is that we couldn't fight that addiction. We all found strength in knowing that we surrendered to the drug or alcohol and we wanted a better life. You know, I was doing counseling every day, three times a day, um, seven days a week, literally no days off. So I missed, I missed, uh, there for 45 days. So I missed Thanksgiving. The schedule still the same. I missed Christmas. The schedule was still the same. I got out the day after Christmas. And my daughter, she lives in Houston. So I got three kids. Two of them live back home in Portland. Uh, then my daughter lives out here in Houston. So I came out here with her um, after I got out. And once I got out, I've, you know, I got my phone back and, and, and essentially my life back. And it was a whole new world. Like, the world looked different. I wasn't in strip clubs. I wasn't in the clubs. I wasn't, you know, looking for a drug man and all that. Where the next party at? You know, I was looking at the world different. Where the next opportunity at? You know, because now I'm coming out ready to win and my mind was clear and my body was clear. I was in there working out, man, get my body back. And it's the best I've felt my whole life. You know, coming out of Houston, I've been here for about three and a half weeks now. Great things been happening, you know, and I take it, I take it literally one day at a time. You know, my boys came out here just this past weekend. We're trying to plan future trips. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing the next couple of days. I'm literally taking all I know is that if I stay sober today, 
And if I keep making making good decisions, good things are happening. And Lord and behold, good things may happen. We get opportunities. Um, here and now I got a chance to speak, you know, and to get the messages out. And and I found a new, you know, a fresh breath of air, you know, and a new life. You know, and I used to always complain about people took stuff from me and yeah, I got this took from me and they used me for this, but my addiction, I gave all that away. I made all those things happen. You know, I had to admit that to myself and it took a while for me to do it, but I gave my life away. I gave my kids away. I gave that shit with my mom away, you know? And so now I'm working on recovering. They say uh, right now I'm 83 days sober today. You know, I'm bragging on that. And Congratulations. I'm sober today. Appreciate it. But, uh, but uh, you know, my sponsor, he always said, like, this is sober you're going to be. Now it's time to recover. And so now I'm in recovery mode. And, and again, you know, life doesn't stop. You know, I gotta deal with the issue still that I didn't deal with in the past. I was running from using the drugs from. I gotta deal with all these anxieties and fears that I missed out on, missed out on dealing with for the past, you know, four or five, six years. And so, I'm still working on that. You know, I got a lot of work to do and still growing. But I love where I'm at. I love where I'm coming. And there is hope, and there is light in that tunnel. You just gotta want it. You can't. Nobody could have made me want it three, four years ago even three, four, five months ago. You know, I had to hit that rock bottom to say, okay, enough is enough. You know, and I'm glad I did it before it got too late. There's a lot of still sick and sufferings out there. You know, there was uh, some guys who I was in treatment with who got out on a Saturday and ended up ODing on a Wednesday. It's real, you know, and not only addiction real, but life is real, like hard, you know, and if you don't have the proper tools and resources to deal with it, man, it could be a deep, dark, scary place. So, no, I just want to say there is light at the end of that tunnel. And there is hope, man. And anybody who needs the help, get it. Don't be afraid to. You know, it's not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of strength. And, you know, there's people out there who's here. You know, if nobody's there to help, you know, call me. Reach out to me. I'll help. In a nutshell, that's pretty much the story. Here I am today, you know, still learning, still growing, still trying to find my lane and, and, and still, you know, hitting my head. But I know as long as I stay sober and make good decisions that, I'm on the right track. And for me, and from compared to where I was at, that's enough right now. That's enough. I'm, not, I'm better with my kids now. Um, me and my mom getting closer. You know, uh, I'm reaching out to more people who who I avoided for years. You know, um, I just feel stronger, you know, not only mentally and physically, but emotionally. able to handle adversity when it comes to that. You know, when I get bad news, it's not ruining my whole day. Just ruining my get sad for that moment. But the day still goes on, you know, and it's going to be what it's going to be. You know, it is what it is. It's still life. And my uh, therapist is always say, man, it's not the end of the world. And if it is, it's the end of the world, you know, so I'm not going to be here anyway for it. So, you know, and I saw overthink so much, but now I just I just take it one day at a time and I just live life on life's terms, you know, so. How hard was that for you to get out? And And when you got out, did they provide you with resources? Did they, you know here's what you can do if you're feeling um, like you're spiraling back into things or was it just like, okay, thanks for the 45 days. See you later. No. Yeah. They have um, resources. They have programs and in, in, in group chats and Facebook uh, groups that you can join, you know, to kind of basically hold each other accountable, you know, like, yeah, we all together, but it's really your walk. You know, it's, it's, it's you versus you when you get outside that road. It, those 45 days was just training for the real world, you know? So once that rubber hits the road, you know, you gotta make the good decisions off the training that we had in those 45 days, you know, 
three times a day therapy, you know, and all the counseling meetings, AA meetings that night. They did a great job with just making sure that we had the proper resources when we got out, you know, from pamphlets, the people to call. Um, they gave us uh, wherever city we were choosing to go to afterwards. They had uh, AA meetings already set up for us when we get there. That some guys already had sponsors while they was in treatment before they got out. The local guys, you know, and uh, they did a good job reaching out and making sure that we was fully armored with uh, recovery tools, you know, uh, to make sure we didn't relapse. And I always tell people, I love busting balls. I love getting my balls busted, having a good time and keeping things light. But I take this recovery serious and I do not, in any circumstance, take the power of relapse lightly. I don't, you know, and I don't put myself in situations to possibly relapse. I don't, I, I don't play with fire no more. You know, and I keep my heaven and hell this close to me because I know how how bad that hell was for me. It was terrible. You know, it, it I put that drug above my family. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a little drug above everything that I love and kill and die for. And it's that close. And so by me keeping it that close, I make sure that I'm doing everything I got to do to keep my mind and my heart pure and never cross that side of the fence again. You know, and I feel better on this side. You know, I sound better. Um, I look better. feel better. You know, uh, Body's not as beat up as it felt once before, and know, uh, I'm just closer to the family, and this is everything that I wanted to do anyway in my life. And so, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But you know, they did a hell of a job keeping us tight knit and keeping everything within our grasp if we need it. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Do you think your injury was the tipping point, or was it being released from the Packers, or what was that? I know. You, you kind of mentioned it in your story that that was kind of where things went downhill. But what do you think was that moment where you just decided, I don't care if it is thrown away? It wasn't while I was playing because I still had something to be proud of. It was once I got done playing, like fully done, like after Canada, when I was all the way done, it wasn't no what ifs, I go back. It was completely done. Then it was like a now what? And I couldn't figure out that now what on my own. And instead of asking for help, and having doubt and fear and insecurities, I just went to drugs to avoid all those, you know? And that was the point that I got to where I was like, okay, I don't care no more. You know, I'm not playing football. I have no reason to work out. I have no reason to eat healthy. I have no reason to do this and this. And wasn't making the money I was making, you know, wasn't living how I was living. So I was like, man, but it haunted me that I wasn't where I was at having all that. And so I had that guilt and shame knowing that I screwed it up. Like knowing deep down inside, knowing that I screwed up, I couldn't admit that to myself, you know, until I got the treatment and got, and got help. But for me avoiding admitting it, the only thing that could help me from thinking about it was using drugs and alcohol. I needed to a point where I didn't give a damn what happened. Right. Do you think that's um, pretty common with football players and really all athletes because all athletes kind of have an expiration date um, as far as age? Do you think that's pretty common in the NFL across other leagues uh, that once guys are kind of done and quote unquote retired, that they turn to things that maybe aren't healthy and whether it's drugs and alcohol or, you know, not eating right, uh, whatever the case may be. Do you think it's pretty common? I think it's common. Um, I think that it starts from we know that there's an expiration date on how long we can play, but we never think it's going to be as soon as it happens. So we keep thinking we have time. So once it happens, about 70% of us are not prepared for it. So once it hit, it hit hard. Because now you got to deal with yourself, your peers, your family, 
in society. And most of the time, when you get drafted or you make it, you know, even if you're a free agent making a team, like you made it because the outside world is saying you made it. When you in it though, it's like, you know, this guy's on practice squad who was like, man, I'm making 5,000, you know, a week, you know, but man, Charles Wilson, he's getting a million. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, it always changes. You're not really, but then, but the outside world is, oh, you in the league, but you got it. So when I go out to go club with you, I got to go spend that money. Like I got it. You know, we go out to eat some fancy dinner. I'm with Green Bay Packers, so and so and so and so. Oh, yeah, I got the bill. I got it. But really, do you got it or are you trying to live up to expectation? You know, and that's what we fall short at. You know, actually, when I start a program, student athlete success program that kind of hits on financial literacy, you know, time management, money management, um, psychology of money, and just teaching us tools and resources that when you do make it, okay, now what do you do with it? You know, and so, but learning that early enough that you can make the mistakes and the changes you need before you actually get it so that you don't fall short and got to play catch up. But I think a lot of guys, uh, I think a lot of guys, man, hit that that hard pad of not knowing how to adjust with life after football. I mean, I hit it full on, you know. Mm-hmm. I went from here to there mentally and socially, you know, and I didn't know how to cut back and say no to people and not go to these venues, not eat these fancy dinners without feeling a sense of, you know, uh, a sense of responsibility towards, like, you know, the community for real, like your society and your peers and mostly some family too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think the way, I mean, this is probably going to be a, another episode for another day, but I have a lot of feelings on college football um, because a lot of the kids that are going into college football are not necessarily from the best lives before they get to college. Um, and they're, they're raised up to basically be football players. Um, and so they don't have those tools that equip them to once they get to the NFL or once even worse, once they're out of the NFL. Um, so these guys are just, they're literally raised to be football players and that's it. And then they're out in the real world and, and no tools. So, Uh, I think that's great. I think um, things that are provided to these 20 year olds, 21 year olds that are getting into the league, um, especially financially, because they're playing for 10, 15 years and then it's done. So I think that's awesome. When I got to Hawaii, you know, we had practice in the morning, five in the morning from five to seven. We'll go eat. Um, We had classes and you got study hall. then you got meetings again at night. Then if you if you need it, you know, most most athletes, then you have tutoring, special tutoring after that. So you don't get home to about 10 o'clock at night. So you have from five to seven. But you're not getting taught about how to manage your money, your time, and, and, and really how to study, you know, or how to lock in on your work, or how to be a responsible young adult going to the real world. You're focusing on football. That's the primary focus. And we had the leeway and entitlement that as long as you're doing good on the field, we'll take care of everything else. And the more I did good and broke records in Hawaii, I love my school, Hawaii, but the more it, it, it handicapped me because I could just sit back and let everything else take care of itself. You know, I didn't have to try as hard as the other students. And I was on scholarship. So it, it handicapped me. I mean, yeah, it helped so that I can focus on football. But after that, then I got handicapped. I didn't know how to be a responsible adult. I didn't know how to really be on time, you know. And then when you're in the league, 
you know, it's just football. That's your life. That's literally how you make a living. So you're doing football all day long, you know, from from eight in the morning, seven in the morning till three, you know, then, but it's up to you to watch the film and, and be on point and be at the highest level. So when you get off of work at the stadium, you don't, you don't go home and just relax. No, you go get massages, you hop in the cold tub, the hot tub, you watch film, you know, you go get chiropractors. You know, you get you get therapy, like <laughs> taking care of your temple, your body, you know, and you have to be responsible in that aspect. And a lot of guys, it's hard to adjust when you have that athlete entitlement, especially if you had a big school or when you were a good player, that's just, you know, they'll take care of it for you. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, in some, some ends, I get it, you know, but in other ends, it's, it's like, man, it's really hurting in a sense more than it's helping because real life is forever. You know, the sport is only for the small period of time of our lives. So once you get done, you know, you still got this big part of your life that you got to live that you missed out on learning the tools and having the, having the proper skills to be successful. Yeah. And I've talked a lot about my feelings of college football, but a lot of it has to do with that piece of it and big schools like Alabama and, um, you know, Clemson kind of functioning that way. And then you have schools that are the opposite of that, like specifically Wisconsin, um, just cause I'm surrounded by it. You know, Wisconsin's kind of like a life first football second, um, right. which then leads to not as good of football. Right. So, which means not as big of a chance to get into the NFL. So it's like these backwards way of doing things. It's so hard for a 19 year old kid to kind of navigate and decide what they're going to do. If they're going to you know, try to go to school and go to a school that focuses on academics, or they're going to try to go to a, a school that focuses on football and get into the NFL. And it's, it feels like a lose-lose situation to me as a person that never went through it and never will go through it, but it just seems difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. I remember being seven years old and putting football pants on, going outside, going around the grass, getting grass stands, coming inside, saying, hey, mom, look, I'm a football player. Like, so when you got a kid <laughs> who grow up from seven, eight years old, and that's all he wants to do. And when he finally has that shot and is this close away, that's all I'm gonna focus on. That, that's, I mean, you know, that's all that I'm worried about. Right. You know, and so it's, it's hard to look at anything else besides that. And that's why some guys make it because they're focused on that one thing. So, right. you know, and so, you know, it just, it just brings a different perspective. Once I got done, like, was it a gift or a curse to play? You know, my answer now is that it's a gift, you know, being bitter and because of my self-destruction, I was saying it was a curse, but, you know, it was a gift. But, you know, I'm forever grateful for Green Bay for, for, for picking me up 96 pick in the third round, 2011. Like, that's, you know, a lifetime dream, you know, memories, and I'm able to still capitalize of my success by giving back to the kids coming up now and giving them some real game, you know, telling them, okay, yeah, you made it, but this is what it's like for real. So, yeah, yeah keep balling, keep doing your thing, stay working out, stay eating healthy, stay right, but also worry about this too because this is going to come. No, that's just the real life stuff after the ball. Even when you even when you play, you gotta deal with it. So, you know, I'm blessed to be able to, to to be on both ends of living that real life and playing in the league. And so I'm able to give, you know, some solid game to the youngs coming up, you know, with both perspectives. I love that. What is something that if you were to have a you in your life, you know, who you are to these young kids, what would you want them to say to you? as a 16, 17, 18-year-old kid wanting to play football? Family first, best in your money, use your time wisely, and know that this is a short-lived opportunity 
and max it out and live your life after. Focus just on this. You know, all season, invest in your body. You know, I respect LeBron James. He put like a million into his body on the offseason. You know, but he, he understands the game. He understands the business and he understands life. He knows that if I invest in it now and pay the price now, I can live forever. And that's the part that I missed out on. I missed out on me getting drafted that day. I thought I made it. I thought that the work was done, you know, in a sense. I thought I was I thought I was good already, you know. And so if I had somebody that was, you know, six and seven year old kid, you know, if I'm a six and seven year old kid, I would have somebody just kind of keep it real with me and really tell me what it's like and how to really deal with it. Oh, LeBron James. Are you a basketball <laughs> fan? I'm a hoop fan. Yeah, okay. I'm a Blazers fan. You know, shout out Dang Lil. Okay, okay. You know? <laughs> I uh, I get a lot of flack on my my podcast because I'm a big Kevin Durant fan. I think okay. I think Kevin Durant is the best basketball player at this time in the league, and people hate me for it. But I'm going to stand by it. I think he's the best in the league right now. I know it's your podcast, but I gotta highly disagree. <laughs> I would strongly disagree with you on that. LeBron James is the best player. There. Oh man, I haven't had anybody on that actually has that opinion, so it's good. We'll mix it up. Uh, there you go. There you go. A, a lot of people say it's Giannis, which I love Giannis. I'm a mm-hmm. I'm a Bucks fan, but I don't know watching. Kevin Durant play in person for three of the games in that series in Milwaukee was wild. So I, I'm going to stick by it. I, I appreciate your wrong opinion, but I'm going to stick by it. <laughs> <laughs> he a freak for sure. But yeah, uh, you can't take away the athleticism, the intelligence, the skill set, and the work ethic <laughs> from LeBron. And he's been doing fair. it for a long time. Now, mind you, Durant got those same qualities, but I don't think it's as uh, seasoned as mm-hmm. LeBron's. That's my two cents. I'm leaving it at that. That's fair. That's fair. I'll uh, take it. I'll take it. Well, I appreciate you so much. Um, I want you to know if you need anything from me, from the Packers Twitter community, from any of us, you let us know. Um, we have your back and we're proud of you. And I'm so thankful that you reached out to Twitter. And I might be biased, but I'm glad that you were a Green Bay Packer. Um, we uh, we hold our guys pretty close, so uh, I'm thankful for you. And I'll help get the story out as much as I can. And I know that some other guys had had reached out to you to to share your story on their podcast, and uh, they're great guys. And and hopefully we can uh, share it as much as possible. Absolutely, that sounds good. I appreciate the Packers and the Packer community. You know, it's like that forever. Yeah, definitely. Well, like I said, if you uh, need anything, we're here. And I personally am here now that you have a, a little bit of connection up in Wisconsin. Now, if I can do anything for you, you let me know. All right. Vice versa. I ain't got no money, but anything you <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Need, I got you. <laughs> All right. All Perfect. Love. Appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. You have a wonderful rest of your day. <laughs>